Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Bad Helsing. And with me is my poor little sick co-host, <laughs> all the way from East Bridgewater, the blind bombshell herself, and Carrigan. Well, good evening, everybody. I hope you're all doing better than me, but I'm on the mend. That's uh, thank you for your sympathy. Yeah, that's so sweet. Let's give her all a, a uh, unison. Oh, uh, <laughs> poor baby. Oh, uh, are you going to be nice to me tonight? Because I'm sick. I am. I am. Awesome. That's uh, cool. Thank you. Awesome new year. <laughs> new year. I've changed. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Whatever you say. Yeah. <clears throat> speaking born of again new, as what? As I what? Know. I don't have no clue. <laughs> uh, speaking of the new year, uh, we had uh, astrologer uh, Dorothy Wagon on last week. If you, yes. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on the podcast on iTunes or Tojanet. Uh, She's always so interesting. I just get completely wrapped up in what she talks about. Uh, yeah, I do too. I think, uh, yeah, well, she knows her stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, she does. But anyways, this month is uh, a strange astronomical thing. Uh, is the... Astrological? S- yeah. Astronomical. Astrological? Astronomical. Both of them, I guess. As... Yeah. Uh, as it is, it is the super blue blood moon. Oh, it, um, a super blood moon, or was it? No, a, super, it was a super blue, blue super and blue, blood moon. Yes, one. super blue blood moon. Yes. 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 And that's a rare, rare, rare occurrence. Uh, a blue moon is when a full moon happens twice in the same month. Right. Uh, a eclipse, uh, which is also happening, is when the Earth gets between the sun and the moon and uh, causes an eclipse. And then the third thing, of course, is the supermoon, when the moon is also a full moon, but it's also closest to the Earth. And all three of these are occurring at the same time, so uh, on January 31st. Pretty powerful stuff, man. We'll have to check out and see what happens on that day. Maybe I'll just stay in bed. (laughs) (laughs) And, and hope for the best. Than the other day. <laughs> oh, stop. Uh, That's uh, lies. I yeah, never stay I in bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I've traveled with you. You're like the last to get up. Oh, shut up. <laughs> that's because the rest of you crazy people get up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's time to get that's up. That's crazy. That's craziness. I'm normal. Oh, okay. I'm normal. You people you are. yourself that. You uh, people are Abby normal. I am normal. You get up at 5 a.m. Say it enough times, you believe it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> I taught I taught Van Helsing how to text on his little flip phone. You did. Right? right. So we're out in North Adams, wherever the hell we were at the murder motel with Jeff. Yeah, the murder hotel. That's a we're good at the one. murder motel. Yeah. Jeff, thanks for those rooms. They were great. Oh, God. Well, my, my and Leslie's room was pretty nice. Yeah, but anyways. Yeah, we on the carpet. No, we didn't. We did not. But uh, anyways, so we're yeah. out at the Murder Motel. And since I taught this one how to text, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know what time it was. It's like anyway. 6 a.m. Oh. I get a text, bing, on my phone. It's Van Helsing. I'm like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to break Hi, his man. phone. Hi. Woke me up. Oh, well, poor thing. Yeah. I was not happy. Oh, well. Not happy you, at all. Yeah. At least you slept in your bed. I had to sleep over it. I was afraid. Uh, to <laughs> hey, <laughs> you know <laughs> what? Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> uh, okay, just saying, you booked me into a hotel one time, and I was afraid to, to, to throw back the covers. Oh, yeah, I, I did. I just <laughs> want to mention that. Yeah, I forgot. I'm trying. Actually, I actually erased that from my mind. Rod calls me up. How's the hotel? I'm like, I'm afraid to look under the covers, and there's strange stains on the wall in the bathroom. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Do you want me to come pick you up? Yes. <laughs> I bought your breakfast, so it was a total. Yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> oh, the fun we have! The fun yes, we have. We but anyways. There's also, you know, this the the strangeness of this this year is is uh, showing up in a lot of ways because okay. they had snow in the Sahara Desert. Oh my God! And we're not talking about dust. They had a foot of snow. A foot of snow in the Sahara Desert. Yep. Wow. Uh, how does this occur in the middle of a desert? Well, it, it's actually occurred three times in the recorded history uh, that. They've, they've recorded it three times. And what it is, is although the, de- the temperatures can reach up to 100 degrees in the desert, uh, most people forget that the Sahara Desert is at 3,000 feet above sea level. Ah. So you get a cold front coming through. and I know uh, that. Yeah. So they had snow, oh. a foot of snow. Hey, they got like a foot of snow down in like, uh, you know, Florida, right? Yeah, but. Sahara Desert, that's like really weird. My son's in North Carolina. He moved he moved down there in uh back in September. All excited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's tired of the snow, Mom, and it's nice it, and warm here all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> he go to work for like he works for a school system. Yeah. He's not a teacher, but he's in IT. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't go to work for like two weeks because of the ice. It's it's not so much the snow, it's the ice and they don't have yeah. anything. To get out they, there, I don't know what to do with it. They can't have. I saw the side streets. They couldn't yeah. even get out of uh, their little apartment complex. Right. Crazy, yeah. crazy, I say. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, us in New England have these below zero temperatures, and we're like, whatever, we can handle it. Yeah, just put yeah. another. Eighteen sweater. inches of snow. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Oh, take it in stride. Yeah, I mean, we'll raid the supermarkets, but that's it. Pillage <laughs> <laughs> the supermarkets before the storm, and then we're okay. Oh, John says he lives in Florida with warm weather. God oh, so must, must be very so, southern. I guess. The other, Even my relatives in, uh, well, Melbourne and Cocoa Beach is more north. So I was going to say it was probably he's Gulf side. Yeah, they had snow. Yeah. 
But anyways, we, this has absolutely anything to do with the paranormal. I, yeah, yeah, it does. Strange weather is paranormal. All right. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, it's out of the ordinary, right? Yes. And speaking cold. about the cold weather, we actually yeah. have a new uh, episode of Jeff Belanger's uh, oh, yes, on do. how apropos frozen people. Frozen people, just like us. Yep. So, Roy, can we play that? Man, Jeff, it is getting cold outside. You feel that winter chill? Yeah, I do, and thankfully we have homes, warm clothes, and food to get us through this frigid winter. Well, that's true. But if we're to believe a story that's been told in Montpelier, Vermont, for over a century now, maybe we don't need those things at all. In a small mountain town near the state capital, there's a tale kicking around of a family who couldn't afford food and clothing for everyone during the long winter, so they froze their bodies until the spring. I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Osher, and I think I'm going to have to call BS on this one. I don't think anyone could survive a winter being frozen. I understand. And we're going to have to file this one under, it can't possibly be true, but it's too good of a story not to share. Now, Mark Twain once said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So, all right, I'm willing to listen. This story first appeared in the December 21st, 1887 edition of the Montpelier Argus and Patriot. The article claimed the details were pulled from a century-old newspaper clipping from a long-extinct Vermont publication. So that would put us around, what, 1780? Yeah, that's our best guess. The clip was said to be found in a scrapbook of Albert S. Stevens of Bridgewater Corners, Vermont. The Argus and Patriot listed only the author's initials, A.M., who wrote that the story was taken from his Uncle William's diary, who described the location as some 20 miles from Montpelier. Here's what the author wrote. January 7th. Well, I went on the mountain today and witnessed what to me was a horrible sight. It seems that the dwellers there, who are unable, either from age or other reasons, to contribute to the support of their families, are disposed of in the winter months in a manner that will shock the one who reads this diary, unless that uh, person lives in that vicinity. I will describe what I saw. Six persons... Four men and two women, one of the men a cripple about 30 years old, the other five past the age of usefulness, lay on the earthly floor of the cabin, drugged into insensibility, while the members of their families were gathered about them in apparent indifference. In a short time, the unconscious bodies were inspected by several old people who said, They are ready. They were then stripped of all their clothing, except a single garment, Then the bodies were carried outside and laid on logs exposed to the bitter cold mountain air, the operation having been delayed several days for suitable weather. It was night when the bodies were carried out, and the full moon occasionally obscured by flying clouds shone on their upturned, ghastly faces, and a horrible fascination kept me by the bodies as long as I could endure the severe cold. Soon the noses... Ears and fingers began to turn white. Then the limbs and face assumed a tallow look. I could stand the cold no longer and went inside, where I found the friends in cheerful conversation. In about an hour, I went out and looked at the bodies. They were fast freezing. I could not shut out the sight of those freezing bodies outside. Neither could I bear to be in darkness, but... I piled on the wood in the cavernous fireplace and, seated on a shingle block, 
passed the dreary night, terror-stricken by the horrible sights I had witnessed. The next part of the entry describes how the residents of the house claimed they would need the six men and women to help plant corn by the spring, but they didn't have the food or resources for six other people to make it through the winter. Now, as a Red Sox fan, cryogenics has interested me for a while now. <laughs> what does cryogenics have to do with the Red Sox, right? Well, no doubt you've heard of Ted Williams, right, who played left field for the Sox from 1939 to 1960? Of course. Boston has a tunnel named after him. The kid, Teddy Ballgame, the splendid splinter, as he was known, was one of the greatest baseball players of all time. He played his entire career with the Sox, and he was the last batter to ever have a 400 record in a single season. And that was back in 1941. Well, those are all really impressive stats, but what does any of that have to do with cryogenics? Well, hold on. I'm getting there. Ted Williams died July 5, 2002, at the age of 83, and immediately after his death, his body was flown by private jet to Scottsdale, Arizona, to the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Okay, if that doesn't sound like it's a rip from some futuristic dystopia horror movie. I know, right? Once at Alcor, his head was surgically removed from his body in a procedure called neuroseparation. And then his head was placed in a canister while his body was placed in another. And both were filled with liquid nitrogen to cryogenically freeze him until one day when there's a possible cure for his death. A cure for death? I read up a bit more about uh, this company. In a perfect world, you would get yourself frozen while you're still alive. But considering that that would pretty much be murder by the letter of the law, Alcor needs you to die naturally first, and preferably at their facility because every second counts once your body shuts down. So one day they can cure whatever ails you, thaw you out, and start you back up again? That's the idea. Oh, man. Would you even want that for yourself? I mean, I'm sure we're looking at centuries, possibly like even millennia of medical science to advance into that ballpark. Ah, a baseball pun. I, I see what you did there. I did. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the idea. And, and no, I wouldn't want that for me. When I'm done with this ride, I am done. So has Alcor ever successfully thawed any living creature? No, they're also waiting for that technology to come along. Okay, so I guess this is a pretty big leap of faith. It is. But what about this Vermont story? Were they able to thaw those six people? For that answer, we're going to turn back to AM's journal entry. May 10th. The men commenced work at once, some shoveling away the snow and others tearing away the brush. Soon the box was visible. The cover was taken off, the layers of straw removed, and the bodies frozen and apparently lifeless lifted out and laid on the snow. Large troughs made of hemlock logs were placed nearby, filled with tepid water, in which the bodies were separately placed, with the head slightly raised. Boiling water was then poured into the trough from kettles hung on poles nearby, until the water in the trough was as hot as I could hold my hand in. Hemlock boughs had been put in the boiling water in such quantities that they had given the water the color of wine. After lying in this bath about an hour, color began to return to the bodies when all hands began rubbing and chafing them. This continued about another hour, when a slight twitching of the muscles of the face and limbs, followed by audible gasps, showed that life was not quenched and that vitality was returning. Spirits were then given in small quantities and allowed to trickle down their throats. Soon they could swallow, and more was given them. When their eyes opened, and they began to talk, and finally set up in their bathtubs. 
They were then taken out and assisted to the house, where after hearty dinner they seemed as well as ever, and in no wise injured, but rather refreshed by their long sleep of four months. Mind you, I'm still calling BS on this. People die from hypothermia in their cars just after a few hours without heat. There is no way someone survived a Vermont winter like that. Ray, I'm inclined to agree with you. Some light was shed on this story in 1949 after Vermont Life magazine ran the journal entry. Mabel Hines from Florida read it and wrote a letter explaining that her grandfather, Alan Morse, used to tell this story when she was a child. Alan Morse. A.M. Same guy? Hines said that Alan Morse's daughter, Alice Morse, used to love hearing the story and asked him to write it down. She worked for the Argus and Patriot newspaper, and she was the one who published it there. Locals who knew Alan Morse as a spinner of yarns would no doubt recognize this as a work of fiction and smirk, while others were left to wonder. I found this article from the Boston Globe. It's dated May 28, 1939, that mentions this story and how the American Medical Association in St. Louis was experimenting with the freezing of humans for up to six hours. They apparently had heard about this old-world style of cryogenics and wondered what might be possible. But still, if we could successfully freeze people and bring them back, we would have heard about it by now. I mean, wouldn't you think Ted Williams would be one of the first guys they'd bring back? <laughs> well, if you ask around some of the old-time locals of Montpelier, they'll tell you this tale is no doubt true. Come on. People have found bodies frozen in the woods before. The only part of the tale they doubt is the thawing out. Remember, you can subscribe to the New England Legends podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit the website at OurNewEnglandLegends.com to hear all the past episodes, send us show ideas, or explore this curious place called New England. Until next time, remember, the bizarre is closer than you think. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That was, that was interesting. Yeah, that, that accent just brought that me right accent, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just brought me right back. <laughs> we do I, not I, sound I, like that. I couldn't figure out what it was. It was, it was uh, Irish. I was Irish, and then it was something, Maine, and then it was like, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what it was. That was fun, though. It, it was it really was bad. Fun. That's what it was. <laughs> well, it was good. So bad, it was good. So uh, bad. Good. The interesting thing is, we talked about this in the morning show uh, earlier this week, is that they had a woman who was frozen solid, and uh-huh. they brought her back to life. Really? Where? Yeah. I wish I had the details now. I didn't realize that that was going to be on the show today. Oh. I would have looked it up. But on. I know, but we talked about it on the morning show, and... Uh, this woman was frozen solid and brought back to life. All right. I'm Googling it. Frozen woman. Yeah, me too. To life. I'm on that. Do it now. All right. Okay. Doctors you know, amazed as frozen woman comes back to life. You found it? Yeah. All right. What Milwaukee. do you got? Milwaukee. Woman was technically dead, surgeon says. A woman who was found frozen in a snowbank at near death is now fully alive and talking again. Thanks to the officer who found her, and the doctors have fought to keep her alive. Um, That's right. She, she remembers celebrating up. her birthday Sunday night. Ah, uh, liquor. 
And then she, she said she spent an hour at the Lincoln Pub and had one drink. Yes, one drink. That's all it one takes. One drink. Yeah. It must have been a No big cop one. has ever heard that before. Yeah, huh. Okay. So you drink she, the uh, one, sir. Yeah. So and of course she uh they left the bar uh because the pub was closing. All yeah, right. Had one you had, drink, you know. Yeah, all right. You had one drink at that bar. Which had they were forced out because it had to close. So maybe they were coming from someone else. Anyway, so um, so she found herself. She she couldn't get a taxi and she couldn't flag down cars and so she just felt her soul leaving and and she lay there in a pile of snow and was hoping someone would find her. So they found her Monday morning. <laughs> Monday morning. What what Sunday night? Okay, she's out drinking. Yeah. And uh, her body temperature was 73 degrees. Uh, After 90 minutes of resuscitation with a heart-lung machine, Ross was brought back to life. It was one of the most amazing things I've seen in doing this for 22 years, the surgeon said. So, uh, anyways. So, uh, there you go. Yeah. So, they brought her back to life. The bar's owner told 12 News he offered her money for a cab. But she declined. She left, yeah, yeah, didn't come yeah. back until after 2.30 a.m. <laughs> all right, kids, let this be a lesson to you, all right? What's the lesson? <laughs> uh, if you're going to go drinking at a bar, you know, um, have Wait, a mode of transportation yeah. to get home. Wait a minute. She only had one drink, and that was all the money she had on her? No, she only had one drink at that bar. At yeah, that but then she had no cab fare. Yeah, but how many drinks do you suppose she had at the other seven bars before you got to the last bar and they there's, said, we're closing, no get out? But she didn't say that. She said she only had one drink. At that bar. One drink, period, right? We're at the beginning. Uh, of the she said she did, that's open to interpretation. It doesn't go into details. I'm just I'm just saying. I'm no, just it saying. doesn't say at the beginning of the, the article. It doesn't say she, she said she only had one drink. It said she only had one drink. Yeah. Uh, so? There you go. Uh, well, must have hit her the wrong drink. Yeah, okay. Or somebody slipped her a Mickey. Yeah. I think she just, she had six drinks at the other bars, and then she yeah, was like, there. there you go. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, there you go. So, uh, strange in that, I mean, truth is strange in the fiction. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, remember frozen, that? Frozen what? people in Vermont is not so crazy. Well, they're used to it. Yeah. You're used to being frozen people. And, and how they bring them back, they shove looking down their throat. <laughs> <laughs> what was the movie? Uh, I don't think they were frozen. Remember Coma? Remember the movie Coma? Michael Douglas was in it. Oh, my God. That's an oldie. It's, it's very, very old. It's, it's like from the early 80s or maybe late yeah. 70s. Yeah. Yes, um, showing my age here, but. They didn't. Were those people frozen? I don't think they were frozen. I can't remember the movie. I remember the name, and I know I saw it, but that's about all I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> cryogenics definitely, definitely paranormal. Would you be frozen? Oh hell no. No. No, no, no. No. I mean, I can understand cryogenics, but why do they have to take the head off the body? That's- yeah. What? Well, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't that make a problem afterwards when you That's, you've got a cure and then all of a sudden, well, uh, you got no body, we'll have to. I don't uh, get that. But we'll I just, don't. 
We'll get you another body, even if it happens to be a woman's, but that's besides the point. We'll just plug you into whoever's available. <laughs> yeah, whoever's available. My like, God, I've gained weight. What the hell? Take you off, take your head and plug it into a, a younger but I. What if they plug you in a big chubby bottle? Chubby bottle. <laughs> huh? A chubby bottle? What? Bottle. A chubby bottle? I don't know. I was thinking about that woman again. <laughs> I don't get it. No, I don't either. Uh, no. No, thank you. But I don't know. And do you, okay, here's a question. Yes. So if, if you're cryogenically frozen. Yes. A human popsicle. Does your soul stick around? Interesting right? thing you mentioned that because we also talked about that on the morning show as well. Really? This week, yes. Because uh, there is evidence uh, that... Um, the human soul is is kept in these uh, I forget what they call microtubules in the, in the brain, and uh, when you die, they believe that this energy, your uh, who you are or whatever it is, it's like a computer thing. Uh, you go into the universe when you when you die. So uh, when, however, it has the ability to. Uh, for instance, if you have a near-death experience, uh, near-death, uh, what do you call it, experience, experience. Uh, yeah, the, your soul leaves the body and then it returns. Oh. Yes, what? it's pretty it interesting. float around for a while? It, it's kind of because it's all like electrical impulses and computer type stuff that you are and uh, that's what they think the human soul is. Uh, oh. Because it, it's... It, 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 there's this uh, anesthesiologist in the University of Arizona has done a lot of research on it, and these mathematicians and a quantum physicist is one of them put out this article. And I know we're coming up to the break, so we've got to finish it up. But yes. uh, you, can, you can check it out. It's, it's pretty interesting because during anesthesiology, they don't truly understand how it works. So huh. that's how it all started. But anyways, this is tuned, so we've got to take a break. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ian Carrigan and Ron Kolick, also known as the Blonde Bombshell in New England's own Van Helsing, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, and wherever else we'll play it. We'll be right back after following messages. My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. 
Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more. Located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ian and our scintillating conversation about cryogenics. Scintillating. That's a $5 word, Ron. Stimulating, but scintillating? Scintillating. What does that mean? That's, that's, scintillating. That's... It means very interesting and exciting. Really? Yes, scintillating. I've never heard called scintillating before. I have. You can't even say scintillating. I can't even think related. What? No, yes, yes, you have what? I have eight yeah. people who have been cryonically preserved and what? one who wasn't. You want to what? hear them? What? 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 Why are you saying what? I don't understand what you're telling me. I have a list of eight people who have been cryonically or cryogenically preserved uh-huh. and one who wasn't. Yes. Yeah, you want to hear it? Why would I care about the one who wasn't? Because it's interesting. You want me to start? You want me to start? Yeah. Oh, with please, was Please. No, you can start wherever you want, dear. The one who wasn't, just just so we could get right, cut right to the chase here, mm-hmm. Walt Disney. Yeah. Because despite the persisting rumors, Walt Disney was not frozen. Apparently, it was rumored that he was. And after his death in 1966, Walt was interred at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California. Okay, oh, Mala's country. But let me, you tell go. You, let me tell you this. Uh, right. A little known fact is that Walt Disney actually served at the Portsmouth Prison in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Portsmouth really? Prison. Yes. Uh, really? That's cool. In fact, there were rumors that he got the... Magic Kingdom uh, from uh, the the prison. If you look at the prison, it kind of looks like it. So, that, but that's a that's a rumor. All right, carry on. Another rumor. Okay. All right. So, Dr. James Bedford, who was a psych professor at the University of California, was the first person to ever be cryonically preserved. Uh, he left money for a steel capsule and liquid nitrogen in his will. And when he died in 1967, his family abided by his wishes. Cool. Uh, so he was switched to a different tank, apparently, in 1991, and apparently everything has held up just fine thus yeah, far. Yeah. All right. Dick Claire Jones was in the television industry. He produced 
he was a producer, actor, and writer who had a hand in the Mary Tyler Moore Show, the Bob Newhart Show, two of my favorite shows, uh, the Facts like of the Life, and Mama's Family. Oh, I love the Bob Newhart Show. Uh, he was really interested in cryonics and was a member of the Cryonics Society of California. In 1988, he died of AIDS-related infections and was immediately put on ice. Yeah. So he it was, they froze him up. Uh, Thomas K. Donaldson, a mathematician, uh, had ideas about death that were even stranger than cryonics. He believed that even though people were dead, their brains continue to exist and have functionality. And we just don't have the technology to access it yet. So, uh, in a 1982 interview, when asked for a piece of wisdom to pass on to cryonicists, he said, I'm sure that any profound piece of wisdom I might have would seem rather stupid in 300 years. So, I think it would be better for me to say nothing so I don't feel ashamed of myself in 300 years. Good for him. All right. Uh, Let's see. FM 2030. Yes, that was his real Hello? Oh, my God. Faradun M. Esfandieri. What? We lost you for a minute there. Oh, you lost me? Yeah, I did. I was, oh, uh, well, I was talking about FM 2030. Yes, go on. He was born Faradun M. Esfandieri, uh-huh, but changed... Name changed his name to reflect his goal of living to be 100. And 2030 would have been his 100th birthday. Is that like Ojo Cinco? Would have been. Is, is that like Ojo Cinco, the football player, that changed his name to his football number? It could be. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or uh, fondly known as Prince. Oh, yes. He was yeah. a symbol. He was mm. just a symbol. Uh, so, uh, anyways, uh, FM 2030 predicted that 2030 would be a magical time. We would be ageless and everyone will have an excellent chance to live forever. Oh, that's what I do not want to do. I know. He died in 2000. My mother always said that. He died in 2000 at the age of 69 when he succumbed to pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. Uh, he was cryogenically frozen because he believed that people would soon develop synthetic organs and body parts would make the notion of death a thing of the past. He called the pancreas a stupid, dumb, wretched organ. <laughs> of course, he killed them. <laughs> I guess the pancreas had the last laugh. Uh, I guess it did. I guess it did. Uh, and then uh, Dora Kent, whose son saw, was a board member of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, mm-hmm. where Ted Williams is. Ah. Uh, so she came down with a fatal case of pneumonia, uh, and when it looked like death was upon her, she was brought to the Alcor facilities. Ooh. So they could immediately freeze her when she died. Yeah, I, if, if she died. Yeah, I bet she was dead when they put her on. She was a popsicle before she kicked the last breath. Yep. Yep. Oh, when a coroner later inspected her headless body. Okay. Okay. They must do this for everyone. It says Alcor removed the head for scientific purposes. I don't know. Uh, He first agreed with the pneumonia assessment 
and then reversed his decision and said he thought she was murdered. Hmm. Certain metabolites certain metabolites found in her body led him to believe that she was alive how can they do an autopsy in a frozen body they started to freeze her well everything is perfectly preserved right you'd have yeah, to but it's frozen yeah you defrost them can you, you do that fast huh can you do that doesn't it wreck it yeah you got to do it really really fast oh okay uh, have you ever read Patricia Cornwell's books? No. She's she's about a Boston uh, coroner. Uh, she solves like murders, and yeah. they, she talked about that in one of her books. And she they had a, you know, she had like a very short short time before the body just started to as soon as it hits the air after yeah. it's been unfrozen, it just starts to to degrade. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you got to move fast. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jerry Leaf, Alcor's vice president, until his death in 91. Yep. They froze him, and he died of a heart attack. Sure he did. Jeez, I wonder if he died of a heart attack at Alcor. Alcor. I'm sure he did. And then, of course, number seven, Ted Williams. We already talked about him. Yeah. And John Henry Williams, Ted's son. Yeah. Uh, he died of leukemia on March 6, 2004, and joined his dad at Alcor. Yes, I do know that. Yeah. Arizona. Yeah. So, there's your top eight frozen people, folks. There you go. Think about it. Think yeah. about it. I, I don't know that. Just don't go to Elcor. You'll live longer. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Anyways, I know we have another one of those fabulous things. Oh, we do. I but, hope the act is better. Well, who knows? Uh, but before I do, I, I do want to mention uh, two shows ago, we had uh, Cody uh, Desbian from... Uh, uh, yes. Oh, I can't think of the name of the paranormal group. Taps Home Team, and it was... Oh, Light, Cody Lighthouse. here in chat. Help us out, man. Lighthouse? Lighthouse Paranormal, something like that. <laughs> I forget. I'm terrible. You know me with names. Okay. I but know. It, well, yeah. Hey, yeah, I'm very impressed that you said his name perfectly. Oh, I remember the Desbian Rides with Lesbian. Oh, well, there you go. That was easy. <laughs> would. You yeah. would. Uh, so anyways, uh, on the show with him, he mentioned that he had a near-death experience as well. And uh, this goes back to um, what we were talking about prior to the break, about the, where the consciousness is. And, and uh, they believe that's what happens in near-death experiences, that that consciousness actually leaves the body. So you can see yourself in a lot of uh, near-death experiences are reported that you're floating above your body and you see people working on you and they only know things that happened during while you were unconscious, you shouldn't know. And so they, they believe that that's what happens. Uh, rise up, paranormal. Thank you, Cody. Rise up. Yeah, yes. and I do I do apologize for that, Cody, but that's me. I do that all the time, so don't take it personal. Uh, <laughs> He's like that with everyone. Don't worry. Yes, yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, so that that's how they believe that that happens is that it's part of this consciousness thing. It's, it's intriguing uh, thing. I have a, a, a little private group called the uh, Human Soul Project that uh, we post different articles and that and uh, and different theories that we talk about. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of cool. But anyways, huh. uh, moving on, we have another one of these fabulous Jeff Belanger things. Since we, we're supposed to be playing them, we haven't really. Uh, so we decided uh -oh. to do two in one show. And this is going back to Vermont, and hopefully there's no accident in this one. Uh, so, <laughs> I pray. So, Roy, can we play 
Emily's Bridge. Jeff, why are we parked inside this covered bridge? Because, Ray, we're going to try to summon the spirit of Emily. And how are we going to do that? We're going to honk three times at midnight. Hi, I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Ozier, and welcome to the New England Legends podcast. This week, we're taking you to a picturesque covered bridge in Stowe, Vermont, in search of a ghost. This bridge is formally called Goldbrook Bridge because it's named after the stream that runs beneath it. But regionally, it's better known as Emily's Bridge. Who is Emily? Though I'm guessing I should be asking, who, who was Emily? You want the truth? Yeah, I always want the truth, Jeff. I don't know who Emily was, and neither does anyone else. But there are two prominent versions of the backstory on this haunt. The first version involves a star-crossed lover's story, where a girl named Emily was going to sneak off and elope with her boyfriend. They agreed to meet right here at Goldbrook Bridge, on Goldbrook Road, at midnight, and then run away. And when he didn't show, she hanged herself from the rafters. Ooh, I bet that explains why some people report hearing scraping on their car's roof when they drive through. It must be her feet dragging across the car. Yeah, I've heard that one. And it's a juicy nugget for sure. But let me tell you the second version of the story. In the second version, Emily met a man and fell in love. Though Emily fell harder than her bridegroom. When the big day arrived, Emily waited at the church in her wedding gown, but her groom never showed. In a fit of fury, Emily jumps on the family wagon and whips the horses into a full-speed gallop. She's determined to track down her man and drag him back to the church. As she approaches Goldbrook Bridge, she's traveling too fast to negotiate the turn. The carriage tumbles right at the bridge. Emily is killed, forever haunting this area. In some versions of the second story, Emily's driving a car instead of a horse-drawn carriage, but the reason and the results are the same. So is there any historical record of any death in this area? Death, no, but check this out. I did find two accounts of accidents here. The Gold Book Bridge was constructed in 1844. It's 50 feet long, and it's Vermont's only surviving Howe Truss covered bridge. And I guess Howe Truss is a type of bridge? That it is. But here's the crazy thing about the legend. Local historians will tell you that there was no Emily who died at the bridge, no truth to the story whatsoever. It's just something someone made up, and it's stuck. But it turns out there actually is something to this one. There is? Do you remember playing the telephone game when you were in elementary school? Sure, it's when one kid whispers a sentence into another kid's ear, and they repeat that to the next kid, on and on. And by the end, the sentence often sounds pretty different from the original. That's true. But often there are nuggets that survive the telephone game. Pieces of truth that mix up with the story. If you go back far enough, you can find out what happened. Is that the case here at Emily's Bridge? I was searching the newspaper archives when I found this article from September 15, 1897, the News and Citizen newspaper from Morrisville, Vermont. Give this a read. All right. The headline reads, The Accident. It says, A four-horse team from Luce and Lovejoy's stable, driven by Don Smith and carrying 21 passengers, was tipped over near Goldbrook Bridge and many occupants injured. A bad place in the road was the cause. The whole load went down a bank about six feet. The article then goes on to the list of injured people. It's worth noting that there's no one named Emily listed here. In one version of the legend, Emily's horse-drawn carriage loses control right here at the bridge. It turns out that has happened here before, even if there were no fatalities and no one named Emily. Okay, now check out this December 21st, 1948 article from the Burlington Free Press. All right, this headline reads, Two Morrisville Young Men Hurt as Car Goes Off-Road. Article says, Two Morrisville Young Men Were Injured at 8 Tonight When the Car in Which They Were Riding Left the Stowe-Waterbury Road. 
and landed on its top under the Gold Brook Bridge. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's similar to the second version of Emily's Legend, the one that takes place in the car. Of course, no one died in this accident either, and again, there's no one named Emily. I get that, but still, we found two newspaper accounts that could at least serve as the seeds for this legend that's been around since at least the late 1960s. You blend some truth with a plausible story, and it was enough to stick, even to the point where people come to this bridge today, just like we have, in the hopes of experiencing something ghostly. All right, so we're going to honk three times? Yes. It seems to me I've heard this part of the story before somewhere else. This whole honking three times thing, did, did that originate here in Stowe? Honking three times definitely did not originate in Stowe. This tradition predates the automobile by centuries. So I'm guessing this has something to do with Christianity, the whole holy trinity, Jesus rising from the dead on the third day, and things like that. It's true. The number three comes up a lot in religions, and not just Christianity. There's the three jewels of Buddhism, the Hindu Tremurti, the three pure ones of Taoism, to name, well, three. So that's why we honk three times? Sort of. We're going to place the origins of this part of the legend at least 500 years ago to the medieval period in Europe. During this time, local churches would ring their bells three times in honor of a person in town who just died. It's called the death knell. I love that Metallica song, For Whom the Bell Tolls. It's a great song, and it's based on the 1940 Ernest Hemingway book of the same name. It's about hearing the death knell and asking for which person the bell tolls. So how did we make the jump from church bells to car horns? The step in between was boats and ships, who always rang their bell three times when they returned to port. So three car horns was the next logical step. All right, are we really going to do this at Emily's Bridge? What do we expect will happen? As you mentioned earlier, some have reported the dragging feet across the roof of the car. Others see the apparition of Emily herself before she vanishes out of sight. The three horns seem to summon her. Before we try this, Ray, I'll let you have the last word. Well, as we've learned, there were accidents here in the past, and over the years, enough people have come here to try this for themselves, that the legend itself has become real. And and even if we can't pinpoint an Emily attached to Goldberg Bridge, maybe there is more to this story. So are you ready? I'm ready. New England is a weird and wonderful place, and that's what we celebrate here on the New England Legends podcast each week. You can help us out by posting a review on iTunes and telling others about what we do. And you can see some photos of Emily's Bridge on our website at OurNewEnglandLegends.com. Just click on this episode. Until next time, remember, the bizarre is closer than you think. actually one place I've always wanted to go. Emily's really? Bridge. Yeah. Bridge. Yeah, I've heard of it before. Yeah, it was when I first started doing this like a hundred years ago, that was like, oh, I want to check that place out. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let me see. Oh, okay. So, actually, I'm on this, uh, if you go to roadtrippers.com, and I don't yeah. know if this is part of uh, Jeff no, Blazer's domain. Ahead. No, but it's Road Trippers. You can see a picture of Emily's Bridge uh, on this site. It's uh, roadtrippers.com, and there's five terrifying bridges uh, that are haunted. Oh, oh, five. Five? A lot more than five, by the way, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, this is just five on this particular site. Which ones do they say? Thank you, Google. All right, let's see. We have Austin Coop. Austin. Um, like Austin, 
Football player. Cincinnati, Ohio? No, that's a person. Go back. Go back, Ian. Sorry. That's who posted it. Uh, Oh, see, I told you something. (laughs) The uh, Saks Covered Bridge is in Gettysburg. I've heard of that. I've been there, actually. Really? And I I didn't have a great EDP there. If I had known we had... We're going to do this episode. I would have had that oh. be ready to play. Oh, wow. Okay. This this one looks like maybe it's been uh, revamped. Uh, but anyways, it says uh, built in 1852. Uh, oh, come on, really? You're not going to give me the story? It just shows me a picture of the bridge. All okay. right. This site sucks. All right, just give us the five bridges. All right, Saks Covered Bridge in Gettysburg. Yeah. Like I said, I've been there, uh, and uh, we did an investigation. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty cool place. Oh, here it is. Just a stone's throw from the Eisenhower National Historic Site. Yeah. Gettysburg National Military Park. Saks mm-hmm. Bridge dates back to before the Civil War. Legend has it that three Confederate soldiers were hanged there three. after deserting during the Battle of Gettysburg. Whether that's true or not, People have reported cannon fire, screams of those being wounded and killed, and some even claim to have seen a shadowy mist float through the bridge. And they yeah, we have... actually had pictures of the mist in the yep. bridge. There is a picture here of the mist on the bridge. See? Yep. Not, I'm not the only one. Nope, someone else. They still need a picture, Ron. I don't know. Uh, then the next one is Emily's Bridge, which we just heard about. Yeah. And they have the whole... Uh, Oh, we have different stories here. Oh, different stories. Okay. We have different stories. Uh, she had a beautiful red wedding dress on uh, her wedding day. A red? Uh, red wedding dress. Okay. So now... No comment. Don't know what to say. The first mention of the bridge being haunted by someone named Emily came after 1968 when a high school student wrote a paper on the subject claiming that while he, she was using a Ouija board on the bridge, mm-hmm. that's different, an entity presented itself named Emily. Other people using Ouija boards have reported that an entity has identified itself as Emily and said that she was killed on the bridge by her fiancé's mother. Oh, yeah, damn mother-in-law. Uh, nice. Yeah, tricky. Wow, that's that's. I'm sorry, son. I killed your fiance. I just yeah, it was a mistake though. It was actually could not deal with it. Didn't know could that that was loaded. Uh, okay. The next one is the airtight bridge. Huh? The airtight bridge. That's the name of it. This is the name of it. Where that's is bizarre this in itself? Bridge? Where is the airtight uh, bridge? Charleston, Illinois. Okay. Charleston, Illinois. So. The airtight bridge, uh, uh, a place for kids and drifters to drink and swim. But on October 19th, 1980, the bridge was the site of a truly disturbing discovery. Two men saw a body just 50 feet up the river, but something wasn't right. Oh, the woman's nude body had been brutally mutilated. No head, no hands. No, she's being hygienically frozen. Uh, yeah, those people at Alcor got a hold of her. Yeah, Alcor again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they identified the woman who disappeared from her home over 100 miles away, and the killer remains a mystery. Uh, so that is supposedly there's an odd stillness that creeps about the bridge. 
Mm-hmm. People see stuff. Okay, here's one. The Ghost Boy Bridge. Ghost Boy. And this is, where is the Ghost Boy Bridge? That is in... Uh, what a crazy Clinton. name. Yeah, I know, right? Clinton Road, West Milford, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it's just a little bridge. It looks like just a little bridge, but hold on. Let me get back. Uh, we've told you all about how terrifying Clinton Road can be with its dark history of the occult and even proximity to the abandoned jungle habitat. Uh, okay. Part of what makes it so scary is the Ghost Boy Bridge. Rumor has it a little boy drowned at this spot and haunts it to this day. Supposedly, if you throw some change into the water, he'll throw it back up at you. There you go. <laughs> you get your money back. The yeah. ghost of a girl who died on the nearby Dead Man's Curve is also said to appear in a ghost Camaro. When oh, there you go. Dead Man's Curve and Ghost uh, Boy Bridge. And, in, a, yeah. in a ghostly Camaro. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Oh, my goodness. Hell's Bridge. Hell's oh. Bridge. Is it a, a me- <laughs> it is in a uh, Michigan? It just says Michigan, USA. It doesn't. I don't. There is a hell, Michigan, by the way. Well, that's just silly. Oh, what? really? Is that where that hole is? No, oh, no. Hole. There's the piece of dead. Oh, that's another place. Uh, uh, so I don't. We yeah, got to go right. now. But uh, Hell's Bridge said. Uh, Haunted by a seemingly friendly older man named Elias Frisk. He went on a murderous rampage, killing several children, and the demons made him do it. So yeah. that that was the last bridge. So just in the nick of time, man. Yeah, so, perfect. Yeah. Hell's Bridge. So there you go. So anyways, um, that was our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. But we, we have a special show coming up in February. For all you forlorn lovers out there, we will be doing a three-night special with Ghost Chronicles International, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, and Stir in a Cauldron with uh, Bala Brooks. Bala Brooks. And we we will be talking about ghost lovers. Ooh. Haunted ghost. ghost, Yes. Right? Yes. Ghost if you're a ghost, you're haunted. I'm sorry, I'm sick. I just leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> so that will be just in time for Valentine's Day. And, uh, and the, de- uh, the details will follow, but uh, mark your calendar. Three days. Be there. Four hosts and lots of ghost stories. And unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, who the hell knows what you're saying? I have no clue what you're saying. Cantankerousness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyways, uh, and also I want you to mention, don't forget, is September 28th, 29th, and 30th is Spirit Quest this year uh, in search of. So uh, we've got some interesting new people coming, and so, <laughs> some of them you may know their names. That's awesome. Just saying. Okay. Are they going to look like Spock? Anyways. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We got to go. Yeah, we got to go. This is tunes. We do. So thank you so much. And Anne, get better. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to my terrible voice. <laughs> so as you get better, we can go up to Emily's Bridge and hop three times three and times. do the Ouija board. All right. So, good night, everybody. Good night. God bless.
From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.